Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me uh, welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad uh, that you are with us as well as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. Today we come to commandment number nine, which is to tell the truth. Uh, to tell the truth. The rabbi uh, told his study group, next week I plan to go over the story about the sin of lying. To help you understand, I want you all to read Leviticus chapter 28. The following week, as he prepared to deliver his lesson, the rabbi asked for a show of hands. He wanted to know how many had read Leviticus chapter 28. Every hand went up. The rabbi smiled and said, Leviticus only goes through chapter 27. I will now proceed with my lesson on the sin of lying. And so there's one way to start things off. I love this story. Before boarding the train with her young son, a mother cautioned him, if the conductor asks your age, say you're five years old. The conductor did ask his age, and the little fellow replied that he was only five. You're a big boy for five, said the conductor. How soon will you be six? Just as soon as I get off this train, the boy replied. Um, so your sins will always find you out, uh, and lying will always find you out. Um, Phil Jackson who used to head up our media ministry. He just retired, by the way, from ABC. I think he's been with ABC and he's gotten a number of Emmys with ABC and he just retired after something like 40 years or whatever. Um, but he handed me this. He said, a minister told his congregation, a lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble and need. And so uh, that was what one pastor said. My favorite story on this was there was a wealthy family that moved from one area to another. And so they said to the little boy in his first day at school, look, people kind of treat you differently if they know you're rich and they might look down on you or have kind of a reverse snobism or something like that. And so don't tell anybody in the school that you come from a rich family. Don't, whatever you do, don't let them know you're rich. So he walks into like third or fourth grade and the teacher said, first assignment is to write an essay on your family. So the little boy thought for a moment and he begins to write, I am poor, my mother is poor. My father is poor. My brothers and sisters are poor. Our maid is poor. Our butler is poor. Even the captain of our yacht is very, very poor. And so the truth will eventually come out, and even if it doesn't, um, it's still wrong. Uh, commandment number nine is based on Exodus 20, verse 16. We'll pop it up there. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's read the ninth commandment out loud together. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now this has a very narrow sense and a legal sense of don't testify falsely in court in order to hurt uh, somebody else. But we know through the scriptures that it has a much broader application because God uh, hates lying and he loves the truth. And yet we tend to think of lying as kind of a secondary nickel or dime sin. I mean, after all, we've just followed up on murder and adultery and a couple of weeks ago, stealing. And uh, it'd be an interesting thing to rank the Ten Commandments in the order of how big a deal you think that they are. Probably murder would be at the top of the list and lying would be somewhere uh, tor towards the end. And yet the Bible says that God hates lying. Uh, mainly because the whole mess we're in as a human race all started with a lie. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Here comes the first lie in human history. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And all subsequent lies through history have uh, emerged from that one initial lie. Very next chapter, in Genesis chapter four, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel after he had murdered him? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And so it goes on to the present time. Now in contrast to Satan, who's the father of lies, is Jesus, who's the epitome of truth. John 14, verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he said, and Jesus said in John chapter eight, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. I love this phrase. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Isn't that a great phrase? When Satan lies, He's speaking his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. You know, this really wrestling with this uh, commandment this past week, the Holy Spirit really worked on my heart because, uh, you know, uh, exaggeration, at least, we're going to talk about lying and deception and then exaggeration. Any shading of the truth is kind of an occupational hazard for pastors. Um, you, you have a story and it's a good story, but you want it to be a great story. And so you exaggerate it a bit. My mother used to call this evangelistically speaking. Whenever the evangelists would come to our church, uh, they would always have the biggest stories and the most impressive statistics. And so mom used to joke about evangelistically speaking you know, where there was exaggeration involved. And God, the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart on this uh, commandment. Because here's what it told me based on these last two passages that, that we're looking at here. When we lie and shade the truth to any degree, we are identifying with Satan, who's the father of lies. And conversely, when we tell the truth, we're identifying with Jesus. Now, how many want to be on the Jesus team rather than the Satan team, okay? So every time we shade the truth, we are saying by our lie, by our shading, by our exaggeration, that we are identifying with Satan. But every time we have the courage to tell the truth, even when it's hard to do so, we're identifying with Jesus. We're honoring him. Proverbs chapter six, there are six things the Lord hates. Now, whenever you get that list, My ears are perking up. What are the seven things, six things, seven that are detestable to him? What are those seven things? Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And let's not turn the study outline quite yet. Let's camp on this last one. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So two of these seven things have to do with lying, and I would even say the third one might be this last one. There might be three things that have to do with lying. Because one of the major ways that you stir up conflict in a community of people is by spreading misinformation. One of the main ways that conflict spreads in a nation, spreading misinformation. One of the main ways that conflict increases in a city, in a town, 
in a valley, is in a community, is sharing misinformation. One of the main ways that it increases conflict within our families, within our church family, is the spread of misinformation. Anytime we twist or exaggerate the truth, it increases conflict in a community. And God says that one of the things he hates is a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Next page of your study outline. There's, There's a great truth. It is easier to be critical than correct. It is easier to be critical than correct. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, this is our 99% rule that I always talk about. It's one of our guiding principles here at PFB. Get more information. If ever you see somebody do something or you hear that they said something, before you get upset, get more information. And 90% of the time, you will actually agree with what they said or agree with what they did once you get more information. An additional 9% of a time, you may disagree with what they did, you may disagree with what they said, but at least you will appreciate the motives. And you'll say, I don't believe in what they said or did, but I do believe they had good motives when they did that. So 99% of the time, when you simply get more information, it reduces our critical spirit. Critical spirits thrive in an atmosphere of lack of information. Now, 1% of the time, you get more information, and boy, I disagree with what they did or said, and I disagree with why they did it and why they said it. But 99% of the time, um, when we put the work in to get be correct, we are no longer critical, and it doesn't feed that spirit, a uh, critical spirit within a group of people, whether it be a church or a family or a community. Now, God takes lying very, very seriously. In this story that you'll see there in your study outline, Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where they, they were killed. God took their life because they told a lie. Now, whenever God starts something new, he magnifies the impact for the good and, and for the bad. That is, whenever he starts something new, the judgment for wrongdoing is magnified and the blessing, the miraculous for right doing is magnified. So, for example, when God started the nation of Israel, he opens up the Red Sea the 10 plagues, the miracles in the wilderness, opens up the Jordan River, falls, takes down the walls of Jericho. He's starting a new nation. So the miraculous is amplified. Also, when the people sinned, the judgment on that was magnified because God was starting a new nation. Same thing is true when he was starting the church. The miraculous was, was very, very present. It was magnified, it was amplified, but so was the judgment for sin. And so when Ananias and Sapphira sin in the atmosphere of God starting his church, starting something new, their lives were taken from them. And it it makes it clear that the sin, the sin of lying is very, very serious to God. And yet it's so prevalent within our society and culture. ABC News um, reported on a study of 12,000 high school students. And they gave them a confidential questionnaire so they would answer honestly. 12,000 American high school students, they found that 74% of them had admitted to cheating at least once within the past school year. 74% of our high school students in our country are cheating at least once a year. And it's not just in high school. It's even more prevalent sometimes in higher education, like college or graduate school, where there's this tremendous pressure because they often are grading on the curve. My daughter, Abby, uh, got her MBA from the University of Maryland. And she said there was this one guy in one of their classes and everybody knew he was cheating. And boy, it irritated the other students because that class was graded on the curve. 
And so they knew he was hurting the curve, hurting them in the curve because of his cheating. And sometimes uh, students give into that pressure because they say, if everybody's doing it, then I need to do it, or I'm going to be left out in the cold, particularly if the teacher is grading on the curve. Now, where, where does this come from? As I hinted before when I was talking about David Rice, uh, it, it comes from our leaders. It comes from our heroes, okay? We look at them and they lie. That's why we need examples of integrity so desperately in all realms, political, business, sports, every realm. We need examples of Christian integrity for our young adults to look up to. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Now, let me give you an example, and this one will really particularly irritate Dodger fans. How many Dodger fans do we have here? Okay, and, and, I, and I'm one of them. I'm primarily a St. Louis Cardinals fan, but my favorite in that division is the Dodgers. And plus, I'm one of those jumping on the bandwagon right now. You know, anybody who wasn't a Dodgers fan a month ago, you know, I'm a late convert, all right? And, and by the way, I just want to tell you, speaking of terrible sins, um, everybody loves uh, Tamiko Chacon, our pastor of social justice, okay, sitting right here in the front with her mom and with her husband. But Tamiko is a San Francisco Giants fan. You know, the things you forget to ask in the interviews, you know, you just realize these, these um, you know, these deal breakers come up later on uh, in the interview. Well, anyway, here, here's, here's Ryan Braun, star of the Milwaukee Brewers. And he just admitted within the last month, yes, I did take steroids, uh, PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, yeah, I did. This is him. He's now admitted it. This is him six months ago. Let's watch this. Um, I've tried to respect this process, even though the confidentiality of the process was breached early on. I've tried to handle the entire situation with honor, with integrity, with class, with dignity and with professionalism because that's who I am and that's how I've always lived my life. If I had done this intentionally or unintentionally, I'd be the first one to step up and say, I did it. By no means am I perfect, but if I've ever made any mistakes in my life, I've taken responsibility for my actions. I truly believe in my heart and I would bet my life that this substance never entered my body at any point. Boy, that betting your life thing, you should be careful on that one, okay, you know. Now, the reason this is irritating to Dodgers fans is can anybody tell me who finished number two in the MVP voting in 2011? Matt Kemp, there it is. I've got the t-shirt to show it, okay? This is my Matt Kemp t-shirt. And he finished second in the MVP to somebody who said that a clearly in bold-faced lie that he, uh, he was not taking steroids. Well, let's look at three ways to give false testimony. The first, obviously, we've been talking about is lying. Why do we lie? There are a multitude of reasons as to why we lie. Sometimes we lie to impress people. A young man who had just graduated from law school set up an office, proudly displaying his shingle out front. On his first day at work, as he sat at the desk behind with his door open, he was wondering how he would get his first client. Then he heard footsteps coming down the long corridor toward his office. Not wanting this potential client to think that he would be the first, the young lawyer quickly picked up the telephone and began to talk loudly to a make-believe caller. Oh, yes, sir, he exclaimed into the phone. I'm very experienced in corporate law. Courtroom experience? Why, yes, I've had several cases. The sound of footsteps drew closer to his door. I brought experience in almost every category of legal work, he continued, loud enough for his impending visitor to hear. Finally, with the steps right at the door, he replied, expensive? Oh, no, sir. I'm very reasonable. I'm told my rates are among the lowest in town. 
The young lawyer then excused himself from his, quote, conversation, put his hand over the mouthpiece, covered the phone in order to respond to the prospective client who was now standing in the doorway. With his most confident voice, he said, yes, sir, may I help you? Well, yes, you can, the man said with a smirk. I'm the telephone repairman, and I've come to hook up your phone. So sometimes we lie uh, to impress people. Sometimes we lie on a job application to get a job. Sometimes we lie to get revenge. Now, we're angry at someone, so to hurt their reputation, we spread lies or quasi-truths about them. Now, here's a tricky one. Sometimes when other people are lying about a friend or somebody we know, we keep silent when someone's reputation is being hurt. And by our silence, we are showing our agreement to the lie. How many of you have ever had a friend come up to you and said, oh, you should hear so-and-so is saying these bad things about you. And you're like, oh, what did you say in my defense? Oh, I didn't join in, but I just thought you ought to know they're saying bad things about you. And you're like, hey, why didn't you defend me? By your silence, you are showing your agreement to what they're doing. And I tell you, I think we need to be in the business of speaking up more when people's reputations are being hurt in our presence. Um, uh, I, I love the young leaders that have come through our church and, and are being used by God. People like, you know, Brian Holland that's here now. He's had 200 people come to Christ through his preaching at Hume Lake and other places this past summer. 200 people have, have come to Christ. And uh, something I was especially proud of is this, uh, you know, Hume Lake is just really a fine Christian camp. And the back-to-back speakers, one was Chris Brown, our former high school pastor, and the next week uh, was Brian Holland, our current high school pastor. And then you got others, you know, Andy Shoemaker and, and, and now Tomiko and others coming through, and now Eric Holstrom that you're going to meet at the end of the service here. And the list just kind of goes on and on. I've probably left out many, many that I should have mentioned. But uh, Chris Brown, I just got to brag about him for just a moment. He was our high school pastor for my first seven years here. Hired him within the first year that I was here. And then he was here for seven years. And then continued with our church family preaching for another three years while he was campus pastor over at Azusa Pacific. So he was here for the first 10 of my uh, 20 years here. And, um, and, and, And Chris just got to speak at this thing called the Leadership Summit. And I want to be careful not to exaggerate because of what I'm preaching on right now. But this really is the leadership event for Christians, if not for any realm in the world today. I mean, they are, you know, it's broadcast from the campus of Willow Creek in Chicago to like 150 or so different cities around the world, translated in about 60 or 70 languages. Its impact is just huge. Past speakers have been political leaders like President Bush and President Clinton, uh, business leaders, uh, Christian leaders like, you know, pastors like Andy Stanley. And so Chris Brown, our Chris Brown, was one of the speakers a couple of weeks ago at Leadership Summit. And so Josh Hoosman, another one of our great leaders, now planting a church in Indianapolis for us. Um, Chris, Josh calls me all excited because he had been to Leadership Summit. I was unable to be there because of being on vacation. He calls me and says, Glenn, he says, guess what at Leadership Summit? I said, what? He goes, only two people got standing ovations. General Colin Powell and Chris Brown. Those are the only two that got standing ovations at, at this thing. 
So awesome. And so Chris and I, I'd been on the phone with him before it and praying with him because Chris is a very confident guy. He was scared to death. And I said, your Pomona PFB family is so proud of you. We're praying for you. He says, well, if in the middle of it, I throw up and run off the stage, you can pretend you never knew me. He said, you know, so I was texting him after it was all over and, and we were in, in contact through this whole, uh, whole process. Let me tell you my favorite Chris, one of my favorite Chris Brown stories. I got a hundred of them, but let me just tell you one of my favorites on this, on this subject that we're talking about right here. Uh, when he was first here, brand new high school pastor, he wants to fit in with the church. He wants to get along with everybody, okay? Brand new high school pastor at our church. And it was in the early years here where we were doing some changes with music and worship and that kind of thing. So there was a bit of time of upheaval for our church. So he goes over to these people's house for dinner and there's multiple families from the church at this meal. And he and Amy, his wife, are there. And they begin to criticize me and in his presence. I know you find that hard to believe that anybody would ever criticize me uh, over dinner, but you know, it happens on rare occasion or happened 20 years ago. I'm sure it never happens now. So at any rate, um, and they begin to criticize me. And he said, Amy puts her fingernails into his, under the table, into his leg, like blood was coming out. She was like, just let it be, just let it be. And finally he just said, you know, I'm so sorry, but if the conversation keeps going in this direction, Amy and I are going to have to just leave right now. And they're like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, we'll change the subject. He goes, okay, okay, great. And then they had a wonderful evening together. But that's, I tell you, I love that guy till the day I died, you know. And, and we should do that for each other. Not just not say things that tear down reputations, but also not remain silent while others are, are doing so. Uh, sometimes we lie because of convenience. Uh, we lie to get out of a jam or punishment. Police officer pulls us over. We make up some story to try to get out of that ticket. Speaking of police officers, this is totally random, but I was coming out of a grocery store in Big Bear a few days ago, and this guy looks at me, and he goes, you, you. He goes, you look just like my parole officer. I said, I guess I got that parole officer look to me, you know. It's very similar to a Baptist preacher look, parole officer. And, and then it made me nervous, like, you look just like my parole officer. Uh, you're the spitting image of my parole officer. And then he goes, oh, no, he's a great guy, great, great guy. I'm like, oh, good, oh, good, oh, good. And he goes, yeah, he's just a great guy. Okay, that was random. Had nothing to do with the message, but I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd share that um, with you. Um, sometimes we keep silent to keep someone from getting angry with us, Okay. I mean, husbands, your wife comes back home with a new haircut. Honey, do you like it? This actually is one of those times when it is okay to lie. Okay, I'm just going to give you the one exception to it, you know. Um, uh, theologians, you know, debate. Uh, one of their key things they debate on lying is you're, you're hiding Jews during World War II and the Nazis come to your door. Do you tell a lie you know, in order to hide them. Is that the greater good? And that's one of those great philosophical debates in the area of, of, of lying. I don't think it should be that one. I think it should be your wife comes in with a new haircut. And, uh, you know, that should be the great philosophical uh, debate should surround that. But seriously, the key to personal growth and growth in relationships is honesty. That's how we grow with each other. That's how we grow in, the, in our Christian walk. Uh, Proverbs 27, you'll see it there in your study outline, says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's how we grow. We have a saying here at PFB, your blind spots will rule you. It, it's when uh, we uh, have those uh, lights shone on those blind spots, that's when we can grow. But we do it with love. That's the key. 
Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. We speak the truth, but we always do it with kindness and compassion and love and the best interests of the other person on our, on our heart. Now, this is what I love about David. He doesn't say society failed me. doesn't say my, it's my parents' fault. He said, I have sinned. And you see, it's not just the person having the courage to speak the truth in love. It's being a good receiver of truth. If we're very defensive when people try to speak the truth in love to us, you know what they'll do? They'll stop doing it. I mean, if we're defensive, they won't bother. But if we're open to receiving the truth in love, people will speak the truth in love to us, and then we can grow in, in, our, in our walk, in our spiritual walk um, with Christ. You know, one of the great PSs to this Bible story is that David later on has another child and he names his son Nathan. Isn't that awesome? How many of you, the person that's wounded you in the deepest way, uh, but speaking the truth in love, love that constructive criticism enough that I or you, you or I would, would name our son after them later on? That's David. Let me tell you, one of my favorite books on leadership is called The Leadership Principles of Attila the Hun. I'm serious. This is like a, a great book. Let me read just some of them. Uh, number one, a, chi- a king with chieftains who always agree with him reaps the counsel of mediocrity. Uh, number two, a wise chieftain never kills the hun bearing bad news. Rather, the wise chieftain kills the hun who fails to deliver bad news. Uh, number three, a chieftain who asks the wrong questions always hears the wrong answers. And number four, a wise chieftain never asks the question for which he doesn't want to hear the answer. Great word in all this is accountability. Here's a great definition for accountability. Asking each other the questions on earth now that God will ask in heaven later on. Isn't that a great definition of accountability? Asking each other the questions now on earth that God will ask us someday in heaven. This is the great equation for spiritual growth. Affirmation, that is encouragement, plus accountability equals growth. We, we love each other, we encourage each other, affirmation, but then we ask each other now the questions God will ask us in heaven, that's accountability. That combination is what leads um, to spiritual growth. You know, another uh, great leader that I love, his book on leadership is called Lincoln on Leadership. The leadership Principles of Attila the Hun, and then Abraham Lincoln on Leadership. Because it's not about brutal honesty, It's about speaking the truth in love. It's not like ripping a person for the sake of ripping them, but speaking the truth, but doing it in love. And the flip side of giving constructive criticism is being a good receiver of the truth. Uh, Lincoln once got caught up in a situation where he wanted to please a politician, so he issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When the Secretary of War on the left there, Edwin Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out. He said that the president was a fool. Lincoln was told what Stanton had said. And he replied, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. Calls the president a fool. And he's a cabinet member. He serves at the pleasure of the the president. Your natural human reaction would be, let's fire that guy. But instead, he says, well, if he called me a fool, you know, I bet he's right. Because he's usually right. I'll check it out for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew it. Now, when you think about it, we really do lie a lot. 
Uh, we twist the truth. We exaggerate the truth. And sometimes we remain silent when we should speak. Our culture minimizes lying, but we should not. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Another form is distortion. This is not a blatant lie, but it's twisting the truth to our advantage, where we emphasize one thing and de-emphasize something else, even in the truth of, of the Bible, where we take our favorite passages in the Bible and we emphasize them, and we take our less favorite passages in the Bible and we de-emphasize them. This is what the cults do and what Paul's talking about there in that passage in Galatians chapter 1. It's the difference of what we call exegesis and eisegesis. See, what pastors and Bible teachers are supposed to do is exegesis, or you, when you study the Bible in your daily uh, devotion time. Exegesis is where you draw, you exegete, you draw out of the Bible what it actually says, and we conform our lives to the truth of God's Word. Isogesis is when we take our opinions, we stick it into the Bible, and we make the Bible conform to us rather than us conform, uh, conform to God's Word. And it's a form of distortion. And then thirdly, exaggeration. Uh, this is uh, dangerous, particularly in marriage. Um, marriage counselors and books on marriage will often tell you, do not use the word always and never. You know, for example, a guy says, my wife never wants to attend important business functions with me. The wife responds, will you always humiliate me in public? The husband says, you never express interest in my needs. The wife responds, you're always too busy to pay attention to me. Kimberly and I used to always do this, but now we never do. Okay. <laughs> the more we hold on to the exact truth, the more we honor Jesus, the more we strengthen society um, for ourselves and for our children. Lord, help us in small ways and in large ways to speak the truth and thus identify with you and to avoid any distortion of the truth which identifies with the enemy. Help us in this, Lord. It's hard, it's hard. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.